0: Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast, for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Cyberson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery, while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Nicole Miller, a certified drug and alcohol counselor and coach from Oregon, who teaches addiction pharmacology at Portland Community College. I heard Nicole on Heather Ross's podcast, Living with Addiction, and even though she's very knowledgeable about all kinds of drugs, I brought her in today to help us focus on fentanyl. It's such a dangerous drug and deaths from fentanyl poisoning have skyrocketed in just the last two or three years. Our family really wants to raise awareness around fentanyl, so Nicole will help us all understand the risks and what we can all do to prevent deaths caused by fentanyl. So welcome to Safe Home, Nicole. Hi,
1: thanks for having me.
0: As we were hopping on, we realized that today, August 31st, the day we're recording this, is Overdose Awareness Day. Mm -hmm. International, I think. International Overdose Awareness Day. And it seems like maybe fitting that we're honoring that day somehow by creating this recording to help other people understand the dangers of overdose uh, from fentanyl and other other things too. So And we here at Safe Home want to dedicate this episode in memory of Helena Johnson, who is our life coach, Heather Ross's daughter who tragically died last December from a fentanyl overdose. We want Helena's legacy to be that we educate and inform parents and families and the communities about the dangers of this horrible, horrible scourge on our society. So please help spread the word In honor of Helena. Yeah. So, Nicole, thank you for your work in this field. It's so important. Thank you. To train people to do what you're doing and to uh, help everybody understand. So, I wonder, is your interest in this area personally relevant or is it more just science-based and you like to teach and learn Mm. new things or is there some sort of personal journey
1: you'd like to share? Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely personal. So, I am a person in long-term recovery. So, I've been in recovery myself for about 16 years. Yeah, since 2006, like whatever that math turns out to be. Um, And so I struggled with addiction for a long time, you know, and I'm fortunate to have, you know, been able to get clean and sober and stay that way for all this time. And then since then, I have, you know, many family members who have been involved in addiction, many of them clean now. But, you know, I also lost my brother, to an overdose Mm. in 2013. Oh, wow. So sorry. And so, you know, this is all very near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's something I have so much passion for, because I know that one people can recover. And I also know that there are things that we can do to keep people safe,
0: even if they're Mm -hmm. not
1: in a place, um, you know, where recovery is maybe their goal. So you know, I think that all of that is just so important.
0: Yes, yes. We are all about harm reduction over here at Safe Home and in our family. Our son is still using substances primarily, we think, just quote-unquote cannabis, but it is disabling to him the amount he uses. So I don't just say just cannabis, like a lot of people will just say, Mm -hmm. oh, he's just using weed. No, it's it's debilitating. But we talk to him all the time about how to be safer. Luckily, he's 18 now, so he can get it from the dispensary Mm -hmm. here in California. I know some states don't have that, but we are dedicated to helping people understand harm reduction and it's not just sobriety that we're seeking for our loved ones it's just keeping them alive <laughs> keeping them alive is super 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 important so yeah. oh gosh well it sounds like you've kind of been through the ringer yourself and understand the whole process backwards and forwards probably more than you really wished you knew huh yeah
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's you know oh, the knowledge comes in handy but you know i'm sure that there's some of it i could have
0: Done without
1: over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much pain and struggle. Oh, you gosh. Well, I'm really glad that you're you're so stable now for many years and that you're turning that experience into helping other people. So thank you. Thank you for being on here. And what is the deal with this drug? Why I've seen these charts and it's skyrocketed, mm-hmm. like the, the line graph, it goes the last two years. What the heck is going on? Really
1: bad. So... You know, so I think we should start with just like, what is fentanyl? And so fentanyl is an opiate. It's a short acting, high potency opiate. So in terms of potency, it is about 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger Mm. than morphine. So it's extremely potent. Mm. And when we think of fentanyl, there's two different things. So there's pharmaceutical fentanyl, which is what, you know, if you're in the hospital and there's some need that they would give you, and then there is non pharmaceutical or like street made fentanyl. And so when we're looking at all these overdoses and things that are happening, we're looking at street fentanyl, not necessarily pharmaceutical fentanyl.
0: Okay. Because I hear it in like hospital shows and on the news. I'm like, what? They're giving people fentanyl? What in the heck? Mm -hmm. I thought fentanyl killed people. So it's all about the dosage?
1: (laughs) Yes. So, you know, in pharmaceutical fentanyl, they can give predictable dosage and, you know, and manage it in that way. The problem with the non-pharmaceutical fentanyl is that there is all of these different, they call them like analogs, all these different varieties of it that range in potency. There's one of them that a fatal dose is invisible to the naked eye. Like You can't even see the amount that would be enough to be a fatal dose. And the reason that we're seeing so much of this is it's cheap and it's easy to get. And dealers and you know street chemists and all the people doing this, they're able to put it into things. In some cases, other opiate drugs to make it go further, or they can even put it in things like MDMA or methamphetamine or mm-hmm. you know cocaine, and so they can lace it into these things, and and people don't know that it's there.
0: Why would they want to lace it? Aren't they killing off their customers? <laughs> It's like not a wise business practice. Right, right.
1: What are they doing? You know, in some cases Mm -hmm. to make it go further, I think would be part of it. And then when it's higher potency and shorter acting, there's more addictive potential.
0: Ah, yeah. So you get them more hooked Mm -hmm. because it's like a quick hit, very, very strong hit, kind of like DMT probably Mm -hmm. uh, in the psychedelic world. It's like, boom. And then you're out, and then you need more. Mm-hmm. So then you have to go to your dealer and buy some more. Yeah. And is fentanyl cheaper to make than other things?
1: Is is that part of it? Yeah, is it a money thing. Yeah, so it's definitely cheap, and there's you know all sorts of chemicals that they can get a hold of. And the tricky part is, you know, depending on like where it's at in the supply chain, the people selling it on the streets might not even know that it's in there.
0: Wow. That is so terrifying. And it's hard for me to even imagine the people who are in some lab somewhere in their basement, or I don't know where these people make stuff, but <laughs> what what is going through their heads? I guess it's just greed or needing to continue this process and keep people hooked. Is that, yeah. is that what it is? God, it's just so hard to even understand. Yeah,
1: I would think all of that, right? I think when you're in the business of selling drugs and selling things that can kill people. I mean, yeah, I think it's just how do we make more and sell more? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And you know, Heather, whose show you were on, her daughter accidentally died from fentanyl overdose. Mm-hmm. And I think she had four times the lethal dose of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And she had no idea it was in the heroin she was snorting. And she wasn't trying to kill herself. Right. She wasn't trying to overdose with Mm heroin at all she was just trying to take a little just to you know and it was so tragic so tragic so people don't know it's in their drugs. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. It doesn't look any different. You have no idea. And right. it can be in pills. What forms can it be? Yeah,
1: it can be. I mean, it can be in pills. A lot of times it's in powder form. So they can mm-hmm. mix it when they're creating pills. It can get mixed into drugs that come in powder form. So cocaine, methamphetamine, mm-hmm. MDMA pills, any mm-hmm. of that stuff it can get mixed into.
0: Can it get into any cannabis product?
1: You know, I've heard of people ending up with fentanyl laced or laced marijuana I don't know like how common it is but if it's powder form I would imagine that you can dust it onto that so
0: yeah or could it be maybe just the cannabis was nearby the people making other stuff with it is it possible that it could just travel or get cross-contaminated
1: that's a good question and I don't know. I don't know like 100%. I mean, I think that because you think like even if there is, say, if there's a bag that has some drugs in it mm-hmm. and the inside of the bag had like a fentanyl residue, that that could present some risk depending on how much residue, depending on what type it is and the potency of it. Yeah. But I don't know if it's this airborne thing that could just float through the air and land on the weed. Okay. You know,
0: what I tell Joey is we just don't know. Yeah. We don't know what it could be in. So let's just yes. be safe. Mm-hmm. So, what I did for Joey is I gave him a box of two canisters of Narcan or Naloxone. It's a generic. Is that the right thing to do? Is that what we should be doing with anyone that might be around any sort of substances?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that if people are actively using substances, Having something like Narcan in their possession. I also think sending the message to not be using alone. Uh huh. You know, because when somebody's using alone, if an overdose happens, even the Narcan isn't going to do any good because they're not going to be able to administer it. So, you know, having Narcan, not using alone, having their friends or whoever they're with know to call 911 because I think there's a lot of hesitation, yes. obviously, right? People don't want to call 911 because they're afraid, yes, right, of consequences. And then there's also sentinel test strips. Yes,
0: I gave those to him too. Mm-hmm. So they test the substance, not themselves, right? The substance that they're going to use?
1: Yeah, yeah, they test the substance. And to use those, whatever substance it is has to be able to be turned into liquid form. Okay. And then you dip the test strip in there and it can detect whether or not there's fentanyl in there. What it doesn't do is it doesn't speak to the amount or the potency mm. of it. And there is also, they call it like the chocolate chip phenomenon in that like you think about how like with chocolate chip cookies, right the chocolate chips are never spread evenly. Uh-huh. So the same thing you know with fentanyl is that depending on what part of the bag you got the sample or you know any of that mm. could influence the particular thing that you're testing. So you know best practice is to test the whole amount of whatever drugs it is somebody's going to okay. use is to test all of it. But if for whatever reason that's not possible, then at least testing a portion of it uh-huh. to know what you're getting.
0: Is there somewhere somewhere along the line, I heard there's places where you can drop off substances somewhat anonymously and they can tell you if it's pure or safe, safe I don't know, <laughs> safe? <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, I think that depends on the state because it's going to kind of depend on the laws that are in the state. Yeah.
0: Maybe Oregon and California may be more likely. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? Yeah. yeah, I have heard of some states having actual places that will do testing as well.
0: People probably would not want to do that because but, how do they know whoever you're handing these substances to won't turn you in? And, you know, mm-hmm. so the whole mm-hmm. illegality of it is once again a huge obstacle, right? Yeah. Uh, now, I've heard of people taking fentanyl on purpose, like being addicted to fentanyl, Mm -hmm. and they take it on purpose. Mm -hmm. How do they do that without killing themselves every single time? It's just dosage? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, it's scary to think it is it is. But yeah, there are definitely people who that is their drug of choice. And there's always that inherent risk that they don't know what they're getting. I think one of the big things that might be on the side of those people, and it kind of sounds funny to say it that way is tolerance. Yeah, is because if they're using this higher potency opiate, they're going to develop tolerance that's in line with that. I think where it gets really risky is if you have someone who's using heroin and they have a tolerance to whatever amount of heroin that they're using, mm-hmm. and then something like fentanyl comes along and it's so much more potent, then that is enough to surpass even what their tolerance is.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I know heroin, or I understand heroin makes people feel very warm and peaceful. Does fentanyl do the same thing, but just it doesn't last as long? Or is it more powerful?
1: Yeah. So fentanyl is an opiate. So it's going to have very similar effects to any other opiate drug, whether it's heroin or oxycontin, oxycodone, anything that falls into that category of drugs. And yeah, it wears off faster. So it's a shorter acting one. So heroin is like, you know four to six hours, roughly, Mm -hmm. kind of give or take. So fentanyl is typically shorter than that. So what that means is that if somebody uses fentanyl exclusively as their drug of choice, they're using, but the period of time between when they use and when they start coming down and going into withdrawal is shorter. So that just means that they need to use more often to stay out of withdrawal. Oh, it' just increases
0: the risk every single time you use it, right? Oh, yeah, 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 and is fentanyl cheaper on the street, like plain old fentanyl if you wanted to buy it?
1: I've heard that it is,
0: but it probably ends up about the same if you have to use more of it, yeah. more often, yeah, oh gosh, oh my goodness. Now, yeah. I understand that fentanyl in our drug system is so terrible right now because kids that are not heroin addicts or people, not just kids, people who are not heroin addicts or not addicted to any substance, but just try some pill that some friend gave them at a party Mm -hmm. that is laced with fentanyl and then they die. Mm -hmm. And that is just terrifying and so tragic if you've got someone that's not even in the drug system at all. Mm -hmm. And then they just happen to get that pill that was laced um, that they had no idea. Yeah. I mean, there's tragedy all all around, but that one seems particularly, like, shocking and just mm-hmm. so tragic. Yeah. What What are we supposed to tell our kids? What are we supposed to tell our kids in this climate right now? I mean, you can't just tell them, don't ever do it, because mm-hmm. then they for sure will do it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I think it's really just keeping the conversation open with them about what kind of things come up when you're out in those environments and, Mm -hmm. you know, and letting them know about the risks. Of course, you're right. That just saying, don't do it. Isn't effective. Right. Like if that was effective, like we, yeah,
0: we learned that from just say no. Yeah.
1: But I think just having those open conversations and just, Mm -hmm. Hey, like I know that this is a reality that you maybe go to parties or you go to places and things are offered. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's important that you recognize some of the risk with that mm-hmm. and and just talking about that mm-hmm. and having the door open, I think, for them to share their experience with us as parents.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure these kids are scared, although their risk tolerance is much greater than ours. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it's scary out there. Good night. I mean, when we were kids, I mean, I think I'm older than you, but when I was a kid, God, the scariest thing was. I don't know, getting drunk or something. It was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There was nothing like this hanging over our heads. It's just, just horrible. Mm-hmm. Now I told you I gave Joey Narcan. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it was impossible to get it or not impossible because I got it, but really hard. I had to go to four pharmacies mm-hmm. because you couldn't get it from any pharmacy or supposedly any pharmacy without a prescription. The pharmacist actually writes a prescription. Is that your understanding of this? Nicole, that's what happened to me. There's some paper that the pharmacist had to sign. Yeah. But uh, you don't need a doctor's prescription. Right. But I went to four pharmacies because the first three did not have it in stock.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: was just incredulous. I'm like, you're kidding me. Yeah. You're kidding me. This, this drug, Narcan or Naloxone, can reverse an opioid overdose. It can bring someone back to life. La- I think they call it the Lazarus drug, right? Because mm-hmm. it brings people back to life. Yeah. And you're saying that it's out of stock. It seems like that should never be out of stock in any pharmacy. Am I crazy? What, what is going on with us?
1: I agree. <laughs> I mean, I agree that it should be in stock because, you know, the things that we have on hand to save lives are only effective if we can get them.
0: Exactly. And the way people looked at me when the pharmacy clerk, when I said, I would like to get some Narcan for my son. Do you have Narcan? And they just... The way they looked at me, it would have been very easy for me to just say, fuck it, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. They looked at me like I was asking for some illicit something or other. I'm <laughs> like, like you were
1: asking for fentanyl.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I yeah. am trying to save my kids' life. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the right thing. Can you help me out here? And they're like, no, sorry. We don't we don't carry that. And I'm in Orange County, oh, California, which is just they are just lying to themselves to think that there's not a problem here. I don't know mm-hmm. statistics, but it's like white suburbia. And they're like, Oh, no, we don't. We don't carry that here. That was kind of the, um,
1: yeah. the the
0: vibe I was getting. So I had to go to four pharmacies. And so I finally got it. I gave it to joy. And I was pretty scared because I thought he would be, you know, thinking that I thought he was using opiates, or, you know, I thought he would think it'd be like a put down. Mm-hmm. But I explained it to him and it was shortly after Heather's daughter died. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to do just whatever I can to help make mm-hmm. sure my son doesn't overdose on fentanyl. But I gave it to him and he said, gosh, mom, thank you so much. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it because you don't want me to die. And mm-hmm. I get that. And I said, make sure your friends know where it is. Because like you said, it doesn't help the person <laughs> right. by themselves. It, no. You have to have somebody else giving it to you. So they have to know where it is. So I said, mm-hmm. I want you to make sure your friends know where it is. make sure your dad knows where it is make sure and take it with you the other day I took him to some sort of music festival Mm -hmm. and I picked him up and I said hey do you have your Narcan with you just throw it in your backpack Mm -hmm. and he goes oh I don't have it with me but huh I don't know these people I'm going to be with and it's a music festival so it's very possible there could be drugs there so I guess I will go get it mom thinks, and so he did he threw it in his backpack I don't think he needed it and I'm glad that he didn't need it but I'd much rather have it with him. Yeah. And, you know, I said, maybe you can save somebody else. You Mm -hmm. know, I just think in the circles he runs with, I think he should just carry it with him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because the reality is, is you just don't know when you're going to need it. And it's one of those things that's just like having a life jacket or having a fire extinguisher, right? Like you hope to never need it. Yes. But you're really going to regret it if you need it (laughs) and you don't have it. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that probably that same. Kind of fear comes up for a lot of parents or a lot of people with loved ones who are struggling with addiction is if we, you know, try to give them things like Narcan or you know whatever else that they might take it personally or that'll be received negatively. And you know the reality is is it's just meeting people where they're at. It's Mm -hmm. that acknowledgement of okay, abstinence is maybe not what you're going for right now, and (laughs) I recognize that this is where you're at, and I love you, so I'm going to, you know, empower you to be safer in doing it. yes, And I mean, to me, it's just such an act of love and acceptance, right? And it's not saying, hey, you know, cool, I'm cool with this. It's just saying, hey, I realize that this is a reality. Because the other option is we do kind of that old school, pushing people away, like all the shit that just pushes them away, right? Don't do it. Don't talk to me about it. Don't ever let me see it. Yeah, and that let me know when just, you're sober. Yeah. Yeah. And that just perpetuates yeah. it, right? Like we want yes. our children and our loved ones to feel safe and to be able to come to us with that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I want to reduce shame around it as much as possible. And like you said, just meet him where he's at. Yeah. Meet him where he's at today. Today, he's not interested in being sober. Not interested. He's like, no, mom, I have nothing that does what this cannabis does for me right now. Sorry. It's just not happening right now. I don't have enough tools right now to let go of this. And so I understand. I mean, this kid is in an immense amount of pain. He's trying to figure stuff out. He's 18, but his brain is more like 14 or 13 from when he started using substances. And he just, he's just not at that place where he can do it yet. And I I understand. And it's not, you know, it's not what I dreamed of for him at all. You know, I'm sure for himself either. It's not where he wanted to be. He wanted to be playing for the Dodgers at this point. Right. But, um, you know, but we can't just live in where we wish things were. We have to look at what is. And right now he's using a gigantic amount of cannabis. And I'm sure he's exposed to a lot of other stuff when he goes out with his friends so I think it's really important and that's why I want to talk about this stuff and Joey wants us to talk about it too by the way in case anyone ever wonders I I, every once in a while every couple of weeks I check in with Joey and say you still fine with everything on the pod (laughs) because yep I want I want people to know I want people to understand I want people to know that we're not trying to make you guys crazy and we're not trying to be Mm -hmm. fuck-ups we're just hurting Yeah, and we need some compassion. So
1: yeah, that's one thing that in all the time that I've been doing this work, and you know, all the people I've worked with, and like, even for myself, as I, I think about that nobody when they're like, six years old, is like, you know what I really want? I want to grow up and be like a strung out addict. That's it. That's my goal. Uh, Nobody, (laughs) you know, nobody's, that's nobody's goal. And so I think like recognizing that is that Yes, behaviors and things that happen within an addiction are impactful, but it's really never personal. Like it's not a a personal attack.
0: No, no. It can feel that way though. I totally get it. It can feel that way. But that tends to be pointing to areas that the parents can work on themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not even really anything about your kid. If if you're feeling completely broken over it, that's Mm -hmm. probably stuff that the parent can go look at their own life. What's that triggering for you? What expectations or perceptions do you have about what this family life would be that you need to re-examine, that kind of thing. So therapy for all, yeah. everybody gets therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and can you describe what does Narcan do? Why is it such a miracle drug? Why are we able to administer it without being a paramedic or something? What, what is it? How is it so magical?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, the way that it works is it goes into the brain. So, so in our brain and our body, we have receptors for opiates. So, we have receptors for a lot of things, but specifically we have opiate receptors. And when a drug like fentanyl or heroin or any of the other opiates that are like getting people high when they're in the system, they get on those receptors in the brain and they activate them, they turn them on. So, what Narcan does is it comes in and it effectively kicks those other opiates off the receptors, and gets on them itself. And so it's blocking these full activators from getting to the receptors. And so it just kicks them off and makes it so they can't get back on.
0: Okay. And it doesn't touch any other parts of the brain. It just goes right to the opioid receptors. Goes goes right to the
1: opiate receptors.
0: It doesn't have any other like bad side effects, like you don't have to be careful, it will hurt some other part of your body. It just goes to those opiate receptors and turns it off. Yep. That's amazing. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, so it kicks the opiates off of it. Uh And the reason it does that is so when we talk about, so in our brain we have neurotransmitters, right? These are chemical messengers in our brain. And the reason that all psychoactive drugs, so whether it's heroin, meth, marijuana, whatever it is, the reason that they have the effects that they do is because they look just like our own naturally occurring neurotransmitters. So if you think about the neurotransmitter being the key and the receptor being the lock, drugs of abuse are the key that fits into that lock. So the interesting thing is, is that drugs don't do anything in our brain that our brain isn't already capable of on its own. It's just like on a way bigger scale.
0: Oh, I've never thought of it that way. So everything, like for instance, the heroin we talked about gives you that warm, fuzzy, loving feeling. We have that ability to do in our own brain, mm-hmm. but perhaps somebody has had trauma or abuse or had whatever obstacles in their life and aren't able to, especially at that intensity. Right. And so it feels so much better coming from heroin. Mm -hmm. Or you're even able to access it at all with heroin, where otherwise maybe you can't even find that. Is that kind of close?
1: Yeah. And so, you know, the interesting thing with opiates is because they work in our opioid system, which is our pain relief system. So, you know, what happens when there's physical pain or even emotional pain, right? When a pain Mm -hmm. thing happens, our brain turns on and it releases our own natural endorphins. Mm -hmm. to go and deal with that pain. And that's why if you stub your toe, like it hurts like hell for a minute, but Mm -hmm. then it starts to dissipate. That's your brain and your body's built in pain management system. And it does the same with like emotional pain. Hmm. So opiates come in, they do that same thing, but they do it on a bigger scale. And so, you know, a lot of people who use opiates just report feeling numb. Uh, they're in the state of euphoria, but emotionally, it's just numbness.
0: Okay. But they're not in pain, though.
1: And they're not in pain. Yeah.
0: So numbness is better than pain. So
1: The irony is that in the long run, opiates are worse for pain. So you think about like people, really? tr- people with chronic pain being treated uh-huh. with opiates in the long term. In the long term, they end up with more pain <gasps> than before they started using the opiates oh, for shoot. it. And they
0: have to keep upping the opiates and mm-hmm. keep finding more doctors that will prescribe them. And that that's where this whole cycle starts because you get a tolerance from it yep. like cannabis.
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. gosh.
0: And then after a while, it just won't even cut the pain. Is that what you're
1: saying? Mm-hmm. Shoot. Yeah. So there's no, you know, with opiates, there's no limit to the amount of tolerance that can develop. Oh. So it really is just the scenario where you have to keep taking more and more and more. To get that same effect, right? So, you know, if you're, if we say it's in milligrams, and I don't know, it's not always measured that way, but it works. Mm -hmm. Maybe on day one, 10 milligrams was effective in relieving X amount of pain. On Mm -hmm. day 50, you need 100 milligrams to get the same effect that you got from 10 on day one. Uh, yeah, You can
0: just see how this would just create a cycle that just would seem impossible to get out of. Mm-hmm. But people do get out of it. How do they get out of it? It's kind yeah. of miraculous that people can get out of that.
1: Yeah, and, and people do. And I think, you know, in all of us, I think it's important to realize there is hope yeah. and there is recovery and people do get there. It's a lot of work in terms of Counseling and treatment, Um, you know, for people who are using opiates, medication assisted treatment is one of the biggest components. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, MAT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. MAT. Yeah. So, some people think that that is just keeping people addicted. Can you address that issue real quick?
1: Yeah. That's one of the biggest misconceptions about MAT. Mm -hmm. So, the reality is, and so if we look at abstinence based, Treatment models versus Mm -hmm. medication-assisted treatment models. In abstinence-based treatment models, opiate-dependent individuals drop out within 72 days. Most of them. Uh So I mean, there it just the rates of treatment dropout are astronomical because the withdrawal that they're dealing with, they can't get stable. Yeah. So the best outcomes for opiate-dependent individuals are in MAT on a stable dose for longer periods of time. And when we think about like, what is recovery, right? Recovery is I have built a life that allows me to remain clean and sober, right? I was able to get mm-hmm. a job and get my kids mm-hmm. back. And I, you know, have mm-hmm. hobbies and shit that I like to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something to wake up
0: for in the morning, Yeah,
1: meaningful relationships, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. MAT allows people to do those things, Yeah, to build those things. And Yes, it's true that they're taking medication that they are dependent on, meaning if they stop taking it, they're going to experience withdrawal. Mm -hmm. That is true. What that medication is doing is stabilizing their brain chemistry, allowing them to not be experiencing, I mean, debilitating withdrawal symptoms.
0: I've heard they're the worst.
1: And, you know, and for for opiate dependent people, it can go on for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it allows them to be out of withdrawal, to deal with the cravings, and to be able to tend to all of those things in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, so really, it's, it's an absolute life-saving modality. Yes. And we need it. And to say that, and it's really like old school thinking to say like, oh, you're just, just switching one thing for another and you're just addicted. And, you know, I like to think about it like someone who has diabetes. They're dependent yeah. on insulin yeah. to be able to be healthy and to live their life. People who take mental health medications, right? People take mental health medications to balance their brain chemistry, to allow them to function. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, if I quit my antidepressant right now, I would feel probably suicidal if I cut it cold turkey. So mm-hmm. is I mean I'm addicted to my antidepressant? I guess so. Because if I were to get off, I'd have to slow it down gradually with my doctor. Mm-hmm. So if you're not supposed to be addicted to any medicine, well, then we should not take anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. no one should take anything. So that's sort of there's such a double standard. We would never tell somebody with any sort of other kind of medical condition, no, you can't have that because you'll get hooked on it. Well, Mm -hmm. (sighs) criminy! So I'm very much uh, for MAT, and um, I'm trying to help people understand what that is. Because I think a lot of people, maybe they are not in this world at all, and they think, oh, my God, they're giving people drugs to get off of drugs? That doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. And I understand that getting off of opiates is like the worst mm-hmm. side effects. It sounds just horrible. Were you involved with opiates at all? I can't remember what No,
1: I I mean my primary drug of choice had been meth and other okay. stimulants. I had done some opiates and who knows, like had I continued on and I yeah, not gotten yeah. sober what I did, you know. The potential uh, was there.
0: But you didn't have to cut off of opiates at any no. point. It sounds absolutely horrible.
1: Yeah, the physical withdrawal symptoms. I mean, things like meth and cocaine, there's a lot of like psychological withdrawal, a lot of like mm-hmm. cravings and fatigue. And, um, and it's definitely not fun. But mm-hmm. opiate withdrawals are intensely physical. I mean, you know, you think mm-hmm. about like the worst flu that you've ever had and multiply it by like some huge number. And, you know, and it drags on, you might get through that acute phase. But even weeks and months, after becoming abstinent, people are still experiencing these symptoms. Mm -hmm. And you couple that with, you know, one of the big things with opiate dependence is this really kind of low tolerance for stress and discomfort and pain. And you know, those two things together are not a good recipe. Yeah, just just go ahead and quit and just figure it out. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, the people that are using opiates are probably not the ones that have that ability to tolerate a lot of stress or obstacles. Yeah, that's why they're using the opiates because whatever trauma or whatever is going on, they couldn't manage it. And so they use the substances. And so expecting them to get off of it without any problems like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my goodness it needs so much support and so much understanding and empathy and compassion it's just uh, it makes me pretty sad the way we treat people around that those people need the most empathy Mm -hmm. and yet a lot of times they're just sort of thrown away but oh they're just so far gone Mm -hmm. so I think our culture has a lot to lot to do in that regard for sure. Yeah. Well, coming back to the Narcan, how do we know it's time to give somebody Narcan? When is that time to get that out of the box?
1: Yeah, good question. So, signs of an opiate overdose, so labored breathing, like so it's a it's a depressant, so breathing slows down, loss of consciousness, slowed pulse or heart rate. So, if you're seeing somebody, you know, that is kind of like falling out, you're unable to wake them, if they seem like they're having trouble breathing, really kind of like that loss of consciousness and not responsive, okay. then, you know, definitely.
0: Could it look like they're dead and you you might think they're dead yeah. and you mm-hmm. just try giving them Narcan and they might? come back if it hasn't been too long?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The short answer is yes. If you have the Narcan, give the Narcan. Just try it. Just try it. Call 911. Yeah. And also the recognition, especially with things like fentanyl, is that it might take more than one dose of Narcan.
0: Yes. I understand that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. even more than two, depending. Um, But I think Narcan comes in two bottles, right? It comes together with two. Yeah. Those that I bought, two bottles in a box. So that's why. So how do you know if you need to do another one? If they're not coming out of it. Just keep going.
1: Yeah, just based on what you're seeing, like if they're still showing the same symptoms and don't seem to be becoming more alert, Uh then give the other one. But again, I think the biggest thing is like if you're administering Narcan, you need to be calling 911 to be getting trained medical professionals. But yeah, like unless the person is alert and responsive then we should be giving more. Another one. And any
0: emergency personnel will have Narcan on them, right?
1: I hope so. They always,
0: yeah, yeah, they should.
1: (laughs) They should. (laughs) They better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My mother used to work in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, and they would give Narcan all the time to little babies. So she's like, yeah, Narcan babies whose mothers were drug users. So I don't know who figured this out, but it's kind of an amazing thing. And then, so what if the person is unconscious because they had a heart attack and it's not opioid related at all and you give them Narcan, that still is okay, right? I mean, it won't hurt their oh,
1: yeah, no, other situation. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a, like, I'm not a full doctor, so I don't want to say so like hundred percent sure, but yeah, I wouldn't think that that would do. But even if you
0: mess it up, you can't hurt somebody with it. It's what I understand. Right. But yeah. you're going to have the nine nine one one people coming right after you yeah. anyway. But yeah. I just want to empower people to use mm-hmm. this amazing medicine to help, because especially with the fentanyl on board, it just it could happen, and we want to make sure people are prepared. Mm-hmm. okay, so we have the narcan. And we have the fentanyl test strips. Is there anything else that we can understand or know or help our kids know to avoid? fennel poisoning?
1: I mean, I, you know, I think at this point, just with the state of how things are, I mean, I think just the recognition that it could be in anything and it doesn't matter how much you trust the person you're getting it from, Ah. because that person doesn't necessarily know where it came from and Mm. what happened along the way, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think, you know, especially for like teens and stuff, the thought is like, well, it's my friend and my friend would never give me something that's bad. Right. Um, So I just think like recognizing that, you know, yes, that can be true. Like your friend would never give you something that's bad, but your friend also doesn't know.
0: Yeah. Because your friend's not the only person that's ever touched this stuff. How many hands do these street drugs pass through? I have no idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, it could be a lot.
0: Chemist person who makes it and then the person who Sells it to the drug dealers and the da da da, da, da. I don't know. It could be mm-hmm. any number of people. and You have no idea where in the world they came from. So we we just don't know. And that's yeah. that's just a big thing to understand. Yeah. yeah, I think that nobody is really trying to kill people. Well, maybe they are, but why would they try to kill people? Because then that's their customer. They just tried to kill. But so right. I think people are just trying to make money and trying to make their drugs go further and. cutting them with things to make them last longer or whatever. Oh, it's such a crazy, crazy world. How do you stay sane, dealing with this every day (laughs) In, in your world? I mean, you're, you're training people, you're helping people who are addicted. How do you stay centered and grounded With all this death and destruction around
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh, you know, I think a big part of it is getting my own therapy, my own counseling, mm -hmm. having my own support network of people in my life who I can talk to, you know, and who also do this work. And we can Uh support one another and not carry these things because it can be so much to carry. Yeah. You know, so, so much. And then just really taking care of myself. So, you know, I'm, you know, fitness is a big part of my life, you know, my family and, and really, you know, looking at my life today with so much gratitude, I'm so happy that I get to do this work and hopefully save other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just immensely grateful for the recovery that I have. Wow. Cause I couldn't imagine fentanyl wasn't even, a, it was not a thing when I was using, yeah. of course, there was things that were laced, but it wasn't the reality of what it is now. Oh my God. Like I, I wouldn't have lived 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I just, it's so scary. So, it's a terrible time.
0: That's for sure. And you do private coaching. Mm -hmm. Is it like when people are right at the start of recovery and they need that kind of acute help, or is it more long term, or what does yours look like?
1: Yeah, so it kind of varies. So I do a lot of work with families and individuals. And so a lot of times it might be like families are calling up like, hey, I have my child or my spouse, and they're struggling with addiction. And so, you know, helping the individual, but then also doing that work with the family, because it gets so, mm-hmm. so important, because addiction mm-hmm. doesn't just impact the individual. Absolutely. It impacts the whole system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it varies. I mean, sometimes people are kind of right in the beginning. Other times, it's like, wow, I've been doing this for years. And I've really tried to think it wasn't a problem. But now I'm mm-hmm. here. And like, I really recognize that I can't do it on my own.
0: Oh, uh, Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you walk beside people and help guide them toward resources and mm-hmm. give them tools and things like that. That's amazing. That's really yeah. great. How would people get a hold of you if they wanted to contact you?
1: Probably the best way is just to email me email and get in touch. I don't really have a lot going on on social media. At this point. Okay. Uh, I know it's like maybe something I should be doing but
0: oh it's a big black hole you just fall into it and you never get back (laughs) up. so you're probably just fine
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so probably just you know email and you know we can chat about options and what that looks like
0: okay and I'll put your email in the notes that's fine is there anything you'd like to share about fentanyl or about anything else that I didn't already ask you about
1: You know, I think the one thing that's come up a couple of times for me as we've been talking is thinking about overdose is that with the exception of times when somebody maybe commits suicide and does it on purpose, that this idea that all overdoses are accidental. (sighs) Right. And that came from like something I was reading even just last night, actually. And it's just, you know, that overdoses are always accidental when people are out there using They're not trying to OD. They're not trying to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. You said this earlier, they're trying to feel better. They're trying to, you know, do all the things that their use does for them. Yeah. And then it's the situation where they accidentally use too much or whatever they used was laced with fentanyl and they didn't know Mm -hmm. it. Right. And all these fentanyl deaths that we're Mm -hmm. having, so much Mm -hmm. of it is people that had no idea. Yeah. Right. So just this recognition that it's always accidental Mm -hmm. and it's tragic and it's also, it's preventable. There's things we can do and tools that we can put in people's hands. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's so important that we keep talking about this and just keep being aware of it because it is this reality. And I think there's so much shame, right? It's it hard yes. for people to talk about like, oh, I lost my brother, you know, Heather lost her daughter, you know, it's so hard yeah. for you yes. know people to talk about. And yeah. we have to talk about it because it's such a big reality in our lives these days.
0: It is. And we really here at Safe Home Want to rid the world of shame. And it's so common, you know, you hear people dying at a young age and you're like, hmm, did they kill themselves or was it a drug overdose? And, and everyone's very secretive. It's almost always like mm-hmm. this mysterious. We don't know. We're not just talking about it. We're just not going to go there. But I think if more people can talk about it, I, I don't know what, what it would be wrong with talking about it more. I think that can only help. To bring all these things out into open. Mm -hmm. So I hope that this conversation has helped a lot of people. I know it has to understand a little bit more about fentanyl, about the dangers, what people can do about it, and to realize that if you have a loved one or if you are involved with substances, it's not something to be ashamed of or to be put in a box over here for. It just means that somebody is hurting and they're trying to alleviate some pain. That's all. And they haven't found another way to do so yet. And so some compassion for those people that are in so much pain that fentanyl or heroin or whatever seems like a better option. That just it just deserves a lot of compassion. And what can we as a society do to make life a little bit better for people so they don't have to be drawn to these kind of extreme uh, situations? So, well, thank you very much, Nicole, for being on and for sharing this important information with us. I really, really appreciate all that you shared. Yeah, Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah, definitely. And please find Safe Home Podcast on social media. SafeHomeFamilies.com is our website, and you can find events on there. We have all sorts of events coming up. We have live streamings, films coming up, and we have a couple of book clubs. I have a group for adoptive parents, all sorts of stuff going on. So go check it out, SafeHomeFamilies.com. And last but not least, we invite you to join our Patreon by donating a few dollars a month so we can keep the podcast commercial free. And welcome to our very latest Patreon supporter, Stacy Smith. Thanks for joining us, Stacey. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and all of our listeners. Thank you so much. Please share this episode with somebody you know that might have somebody in their life that's using substances or that might have a, a young teen that might not have any idea what all this is about fentanyl. Let's help educate our families around this very important topic. Thank you very much, Nicole, and I want you all to stay Stay safe. safe.